0: As you've probably noticed, um, there's a whole lot of stuff in there that um, could be unpacked, and obviously we're not going to deal with everything. Just really quick, um, the Wednesday, uh, January 30th, it's our vision night. We'll also be looking at the budget, uh, but we will, our big focus is talking about membership. And so if that's part of your, if you're thinking about being part, a member of this church moving forward, or you got questions about it, you're not sure, that's a good place to be to have some of those conversations. Some of you have already come and talked to me, and some have said you want to have some conversations with me. Please feel free to do that. I know when it comes to membership, it's like we're in a culture that we don't, really don't like to be part, a member of something, and so I think it's important for us to understand what does it mean to be a church member, um, and so. Feel free to talk to me about that. And then secondly, yesterday there was eight of us that gathered in our home and we looked at Christianity Explored. What an incredible little program that is and uh, just solid, uh, tied to the scripture. What a beautiful way to present the gospel to to individuals. Some of you have expressed an interest in in, uh, being part of that because you couldn't make it yesterday. We will offer that again. But the the hope and the prayer is that we begin to pray and ask God, who can we invite to something like this who needs to hear the good news in a very clear but a very bold presentation. And uh, so we'll be praying about that. Hebrews chapter 9. It was several years ago. It was my nephew was was being introduced to his platoon, his new platoon by his new sergeant. Reuben was... um, had just joined the, the, uh, the American Army, came out of boot camp, and now was uh, being introduced to his platoon. And the sergeant introduced him by name and then simply added, oh, and he's a Christian. Well, immediately the men, and the, as I understand a platoon, that's uh, 39 men and a, and, a, and a sergeant. The men of the uh, platoon began to mock my nephew for his faith. Quite an introduction. One fellow soldier trying to get under his skin simply asked, "So you believe? And he pointed to one of the other guys and said, you believe that he's not going to heaven because he's a Buddhist? And my nephew, he's always been good on his feet, simply responded, well, he doesn't want to go to heaven. And everybody in the room was just shocked. Like, what what do you mean he doesn't want to go to heaven? And he says, well, he's a Buddhist. He doesn't believe in heaven. Which was a good answer. I've sat through so many funerals of people who wanted nothing to do with Christianity during their life and yet when it came to their death everybody in the room was talking about how they were in a better place or how they were in heaven. And that's always puzzled me but I think Ecclesiastes speaks to this where the author of Ecclesiastes simply says God has set eternity in our hearts. I think intuitively every person knows that there's got to be something more beyond this world. Now our passage today doesn't doesn't speak about heaven so much as it speaks to us how we enter that eternal place and so it's an incredibly important passage for us to understand but it's also an encouraging passage if you're a believer. Let's, before we dissect this passage, let's pray. God, would you graciously open our eyes to see what only you can help us to see. Would your spirit open what your spirit has written. And uh, Lord, would you change us. For those in this room who call themselves Christians, I pray, Lord, that they would grow. For those in this room who... who um, really don't know if they would call themselves Christians, I pray that they, their eyes would be open to the beauty and the wonder of the good news of Jesus. Lord, would you make what is appears to be difficult, would you make it plain for every eye, every ear in this room? In your precious name we pray. Amen. Our chapter is divided really into two sections, uh, um, verses 1 through 10 be in the first section, which just simply, I think, is um, looking back at the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the the Old Sanctuary, or the Old Tent, or the Tabernacle, whatever word you want to use, and the Old Priests, and basically saying, these are the shortcomings with what was done in the Old. Now, he has great respect for what happened there, but he also paints the shortcomings that, that are very real. But then the second section starts at verse 11, goes down to 28. And just like the entire book of Hebrews, he wants us to consider Jesus. He wants our eyes to be moved off of the circumstances of life and our eyes to be moved on Christ. Consider him. And in this context, he wants us to see that this Jesus is superior in so many ways. Let's begin with the first section, the shortcomings of the Old Testament, the shortcomings of the Old Covenant more specifically, the shortcomings of the tabernacle in the first five verses. Verses 1 through 5, he really is summarizing what we find in the Old Testament in Exodus 25 through 30. So he takes six chapters and he shrinks it down to five verses. And he actually closes and he says, "Of these things we cannot now speak in detail, because he wants to move on to something bigger and more important, but he thinks he needs a pause and reflect on this. Now why is that? Last week, we talked about how Moses, when he was after the people of God, says, "Yeah, we're going to follow God, we're going to obey Him. They made a commitment with the Lord. Then we're told that Moses gets up and he goes up into the mountain. He's gone for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he is there, he sees something in the heavens. And what he sees in the heavens, he makes a copy. He's supposed to make a copy on the earth. And that copy is the tabernacle, the tent, where the the Israelites did their sacrifices and, and, and met with God. So our author in Hebrews is just simply unpacking what was in that tent. and he just lists the things very quickly, very, very simply in verses one through five. He says in verse one, now in the first covenant, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship. they had they had a, 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 a this is how you're supposed to do it, and worship is simply a serving God in his presence. more than that, but it is that. And then he lists what's in the tent. Got a picture somewhere in there. Yeah, right there. Really crude little picture. But that was the tent. I think it's really helpful because uh, you see on the bottom, you see the lampstand. And every day in that section, the priest would come in and they would make sure the lampstand was lit. On the other side... At the top of this, there was the, the bread, was placed, and, and that would be put out on a regular basis. And then the altar of incense, the sea there, that would be burned every day in the morning and the evening. In Luke, when we're looking and listening to the story of Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, he was a priest, and he had his turn in that section of the temple, or the in, in that time it was a temple. And he was burning the incense when he met Gabriel. And then there's this big curtain that split the section. And then we have the most holy of holies in section A, the Ark of the Covenant. That just kind of gives you a picture of what he's trying to describe here. Now our author simply says of these things we cannot now speak in detail and so I don't think I'm going to go into detail on what was going on with each of these little things except I want to draw your attention to verse 5. The reason I want to draw your attention to verse 5 because I think if we understand verse 5 it it, it helps us to behold the wonder of the rest of this passage. Notice in verse 5 he says above it, above that little box in the Holy of Holies Above that, he says. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. These things we cannot now speak in detail. There's another picture there. If you could jump to that, Rochelle. Basically, the ark of the covenant was a box. Lid opened. Inside that box was was um, was. The tablets of Moses, the Ten Commandments, on there. We're told that uh, back in the, in the day, the the um, Aaron's staff was in there. But on top was these cherubims, these angels, these angelic beings that hovered over this empty yet m- place called the Mercy Seat, the throne. What is this cherubim? The first place we're introduced to the cherubim is actually in Genesis chapter three first time we hear this word in all of scripture. Very importantly, Adam and Eve, they rebel against God. God says this is how you're supposed to what you can and cannot do. They disobey God. They rebel against God. And what happens? Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every, every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Driven from the presence of God, they were driven from the tree of life, they were driven from what could keep them alive forever because they had rebelled. The consequences of that was being driven from the presence of God. And one of these cherubims was stood at the east side so that they could never return. The next time we hear this word, is in Exodus. In that section we read last week, where Moses and the people of God, they they um, they made this covenant, they pr- made this promise with God, this is what we're going to do. We're going to keep your word, we're going to obey you. Moses goes up in the mountain, gets his picture, and the first part of the picture that he sees is in Exodus chapter 25, starting in verse 10, where he's building the ark of the covenant. And on that he used to make one cherub. Oh, and verse 18 of, of Exodus chapter 25. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work, shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and, and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. And this is the first time we were, we're reintroduced to this word. And he doesn't explain it. He just simply says, this is what I want you to do. Then in chapter 26 of Exodus, verse 1, he says, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple scarlet yarns, and you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. And so there was this curtain, and on this curtain was all these cherubims, these angels, these angelic beings. What's going on? Go back to that picture before, if you would. That curtain right there, it, it, it was a curtain, and on that curtain was these cherubims. And and what the reality was, in this side of the tent, the priests were in there every day of the year. But on this side of the tent, the priests were in there one day a year. And to enter it, you had to go through the cherubim. You would come from the east. Remember, God put the cherubim on the east of the Garden of Eden. You would come from the east and you would enter into into the presence of God at least once a year, but only the high priest. And so as we read Exodus, we're beginning to see that God is beginning to pave a way for the people of God to be in the presence of God, for the people of God to worship God, for the people of God to serve God. He was beginning to open the door. That's important for us to grasp. Now, something else that I think is important for us to understand is found in Numbers chapter 17. I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 7, verse 39, 89. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting, and just stopped there, I don't know why Moses was in the tent of meeting, why he was allowed to go in. It doesn't explain it, it just tells us he did. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat, that was on the ark of the testimony, from between the two cherubims, and it spoke to him. That ark, that covenant, that cherubim, that mercy seat that was empty, that was where is representing God was was it was a, a, a picture that God was present with His people, that God would speak with. Them. What in the world? Why are you digging into all this stuff? I think it's really important. If we want to consider Jesus, if we want to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, we got to dig deep. Okay? So hang with me. Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to go back there. So simply, our author is simply unpacking that in very, very quick, vivid detail. And now he wants to go in verses 6 through 11 And he wants us to take a closer look at the shortcomings of the the priests who served in that tent. It says in verse 6, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. Every day, as I said, they would go into this first section and, 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 and faithfully do what they were called to do. But in the second section, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year... And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Our author has been trying to paint a picture that the old covenant was simply that—it was old, and it's now obsolete. To point it to something better, don't turn back and go back that way. Continue to look at Jesus and see the, the beauty and the wonder, and, the, and, the, and, and, and marvel at who He is. And He and He unpacks it. These priests daily had to go in and do these sacrifices. And then once a year, the high priest would go in and and he would first have to sacrifice something for his own sins and then he would make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But the very next day, it had to be done again. And the very next year, the high priest would have to go in again. What I want you to notice in chapter 9, Found in verse 6, first, in verse 9, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. So, day after day, there was sacrifice, slaughtering of animals. Once a year, there was a slaughtering of, a, of, of animals, and, a, and, and, and atonement would be made for all the people, and the high priest would go into that Holy of Holies. Our text tells us that these could not deal with the conscience of the people. They, they could not perfect. It could not bring to the wholeness or the end that our conscience ought to go or be. Now, well, that's a problem. Why is it a problem? Listen to the words of Jesus, Mark chapter 7. Jesus says there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then he goes on to explain in verse 21 of chapter 7 of the Gospel of Mark, for for, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, Slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What's Jesus saying? He's saying when we do bad things, we can't blame it on the friends we hang out with. Now, they might have an influence, okay? But the issue's right here the issue's inside. Is from within. Things such as sexual immorality, pride, deceit, coveting, wanting what others have. The problem is in here. And all the sacrifices of animals from the Old Testament, none of those things would, would deal with what's in here. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. That's our problem. That's been our problem since... Adam and Eve. So why all this stuff? Why, why years and generations of the the Israelites going through these motions? Why? Because God was painting this picture of what it would cost. He was painting this picture that, that we, we, there's nothing that we can do to satisfy Him. He was creating this longing in us that we need something more. Oh. Hebrews chapter 9. The author of Hebrews isn't, isn't dishing the, 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 old, the old covenant and, and, and all of that went on. He, he actually sees it, I think, as something very beautiful. But just like when I'm going to Banff, I don't stop. As soon as I see the sign that says Banff, I don't stop there and camp out right in front of the sign. I go into the park the sign just simply tells me go ahead move on you're almost there verse 11 there's a three letter word but such a beautiful word in the New Testament we see it in several different places in our, in our study in James this week we, we saw that word and we're like "Oh, isn't that good Verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. What has Jesus done? How are we to consider him? In verses 1 through 14, we're to consider the perfect tent that he entered with his own blood. Last week we talked about how Jesus, he doesn't enter a temple. He doesn't enter a tent. He doesn't enter that tent that we had seen back then. He enters the tent where God is actually present, where there's real cherubims that surround him. Jesus entered that temple, that tent, that sanctuary. And how did he enter? not with the blood of goats and bulls and oxen and sheep and lambs and all kinds of things. He entered with his own blood. He died in our place. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works. See, Jesus' blood, Jesus' death, is able to purify, cleanse, Last week we talked about the new covenant How the new covenant He's going to write the law on our hearts And on our minds Here he talks about how he's going to Transform or purify And cleanse our our inner being Consider Jesus Verses 15 to 22 we, We see how Jesus is a mediator Of the new covenant And will now when we think of mediator, what do we think of? If, you, if you're a hockey fan like me, you probably know that pretty soon we're coming to the end of the NHL agreement between the National Hockey League and the players. The last t- two times that has happened, that hasn't gone very well. We lost an entire year of hockey because they couldn't get along, and sometimes they need a mediator to come alongside and come in the middle, and they go, well, you—if you compromise in this way, and if you compromise in this way, then we can well, then we can have a hockey season. Jesus is not such a mediator. He's not trying to say, okay, well, God, if you compromise in this way, if you you if you if you, if you make things a little bit easier, and, and if you guys maybe pull up your you know pull things up a little bit better, uh, we'll move forward. Jesus is a mediator in a different sense. He says, God, this is the standard. And it's a perfect standard. And, and this, is what you, this is what you need to make things right. Jesus becomes a mediator in the sense that he does what God demands. He's the perfect, he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he died the death that we should have died. that's the mediator that he is. So a little later, he changes the word and in verse 15, it's the new covenant, but then he then he moves to verse 16 for where a will is involved and it connects the two. And, and what he's doing is what happens when somebody dies? We pull out the will and we find out what that person wished to do with all of his stuff. very similar way when Christ died it brought into effect this new covenant that's what our author is saying and finally I want you to notice in in this section in verse 22 indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood under the Old Testament that's, that's how they purify things with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins what's he mean there When we were growing up, we, we lived in a small town rural Alberta. And once a week, we'd go to the big city. The big city was Lethbridge at that time for us. And as you entered Lethbridge from the, the east side, there wasn't a cherubim there. There was a, there was a um, slaughterhouse. And it stunk. As soon as you were just like, oh, Lethbridge just has a stench. Once you got through that, it wasn't so bad. I often wonder if the temple was like that—just a stench. Because outside that temple, there was the altar where they would sacrifice the animal day after day after day. There was offerings for the people. There was offerings for individuals. They were slaughtering animals, and the people of God could watch these sacrifices. And as they would slit the throats of the animals, the blood would drain. It's—it's gruesome. I get it, but that was the point. The blood would drain, and what would happen? The life of the animal would be gone. They would literally watch the animal cease to breathe. Over and over and over and over and over again. And what was God trying to paint for us? That's what sin does. It will kill us. There's a stench that comes with it, and it was supposed to unsettle the people. Jesus comes and he says you know what rather than you folks dying I will and they didn't slit his throat they nailed him to a tree and his blood the life just came out of him And he became our substitute. He took our place. His blood was shed on our behalf. And it's only through that that we can be cleansed deep down. It's only through that that there can be forgiveness of sins. That's what Christ has done. And our author is saying the stuff in the Old Testament was just a picture of what was to come don't go back there look ahead to here but but stop and consider Jesus just pause for a minute minute. take a peek back through your life there's stuff that you will like about your life I did this, this was good this, this was good there is stuff back there that all of us have that is like, <sighs> I wish I could take those words back. I wish I could take that action back. I wish I could take those thoughts back. I wish I could. Let me tell you a story. I've often told you about the Deerfoot stuff. I'm going to put Gord on the spot here. About a, about, a, about a month ago, a month and a half ago, I was driving, coming onto Crowchild from our house. So. It's a crazy little place. You're coming off the of 17th onto, uh, onto, onto Crow. And you kind of got to get over several lanes really quick. And when it's busy, it's like it's a little bit harder. And it was still dark. It was early morning. And, and I was coming over, and this person wasn't going to let me in. I was kind of ticked off. And so I gave him my brakes. I was like, oh, I showed him. Well, he hit his brakes, so then I was like a little more mad, and I gave him my brakes again. And then I got around him, and I slowed down because I got to look at him, right? You know, you just got to do that. Show him who's boss. And I looked over, and I was like, oh no, it's guard. But it wasn't. It wasn't him, thankfully. But all of a sudden, I was like, gotcha. (laughs) It didn't matter. It didn't matter to me who it was, but then when it's like, oh, I know who it is. And then when it wasn't God, I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> and I wish it was just that simple. You see, that's what's in it. that's what's in Elroy. And so much more. And the life blood came out of Jesus. The life came out of Jesus. So this dirty conscience could be purified. Wow. What's beautiful is he doesn't stop there. And as you've noticed, there's just so many different Layers and flavors, and different ideas, and different ways to look at the death of Christ and how beautiful it is. He doesn't stop there. The very last paragraph it says, "Thus it was necessary, verse twenty-three, for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices for the than these, for Christ has entered not into a holy place, made with hands, which are copies of the true things." But into heaven now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. You see, not only did he die, but he rose from the dead and he entered into the heavens and he appeared in the presence of God. The cherubim are around him and God is in his midst. And Christ enters into that sanctuary on our behalf. It gets better than that. Verse 26. It says, For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly. No, no, he goes up. Let's look at verse 25, sorry. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters a holy place every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, he went to the cross once, and that was enough. Once for all. Just in case we miss this. Chapter 7, verse 17. Sorry, 7, verse 27. He has no need like these high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Then in chapter 9, verse 12, we already read it, but he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves. In chapter 10, we're going to see in in um, chapter 10, verse 10, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The lifeblood, the sacrifice of Jesus made was once and once, and that's it. It dealt with that ugly heart that I that was expressed that early morning on, on Crow Child, but it dealt with every piece of ugliness that was and will be in me and in all those who put their faith in this Jesus. Verse 28, chapter comes to a close. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will come a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. you saying about that. He could save. He can bring us into this eternal inheritance because of what he's done. That's so good, and 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 I love the expression "who eagerly, who are eagerly waiting for him." Last night, I know I got I got to rub it in a little bit, okay. Last night, sorry, Seamus and others. But I know there's some oiler fans here, so I got to do this. Eight o'clock the game was starting. I couldn't wait to watch that game. I wanted to go down and watch the game and and, and it's something special when the Flames and the Oilers play. And right now they, they just they're just beating up on each other. There's some there's some blood going on every time. You notice that every time you play. I don't know if there's any connection, but I don't think so. But I was eagerly waiting that. There's a lot of things in this life I eagerly wait for. Christmas, I love that time of year. I look forward to it. There's, there's, there's so much in life I, I, just, I just look and long for and look forward to. But what about a to be in the presence of God. What about a return to Eden where the, the cherubim is no longer there and we can again walk with God? Except it won't be Eden, it will be better. What about a place where there's no more tears, there's no more suffering, there's no more there's no more of this ugh. And the only way I can enter that place is through Jesus. Faith in Him and what He's done. There is no other way. I long for that place. What will you, Lord Jesus, we love you. But the, re- the reality is that there's so many things on this earth that I love too often more than that and more than you forgive me will you cause us to hunger you even more with each passing day would you cause us to grow in our love for you our gratitude for what you've done would you help us to understand with increasing clarity what you have done for us so that so that our awe is uh, even is, is even we're even more wowed and more grateful Father may we be amazed that you sent your son and that he willingly went to the cross and 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 let the the blood the life drain from him on our behalf. I thank you that once for all it dealt with the 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 the, the our, our 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 ugly conscience. And because of that work you will and you can and you have saved us. That we pleasure. By putting our faith in you, Father, we have the incredible privilege to someday be completely holy, entirely in your presence. Father, may we be a people marked by an eagerness to be in your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray.